0: Hi, this is john by the way and today i'm talking about the book of james in the bible the epistle the general epistle of james which means it was written to everyone and who is this james you know we we read about peter james and john in the gospels but this we believe is a different james in the new testament student manual available on your library app it says christian tradition has held that this James, like Jude, is one of the sons of Joseph and Mary, and hence half-brother of Jesus of Nazareth. The fact that James is mentioned first in the list of Jesus' brothers in Matthew 13.55 may indicate that he was the oldest of the half-brothers. Interestingly, the name James is kind of the Greek way of saying the name Jacob which makes the first verse kind of interesting because it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. So Jacob, 12 tribes, there's a nice connection there <laughs> in this, the way this James starts. We all know James one five. It's probably one of the most well-known references in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and probably the most well-known in the book of James. Elder Bruce R. McConkey said something powerful about that. I'm looking at my New Testament manual for this. You can hear the pages turning. He said, This single verse of Scripture has had a greater impact and a, far, and a more far-reaching effect upon mankind than any other single sentence ever recorded by any prophet in any age. It might well be said that the crowning act of the ministry of James was not his martyrdom for the testimony of Jesus, but his recitation as guided by the Holy Ghost of these simple words, which led to the opening of the heavens in modern times. And it might well be added that every investigator of revealed truth stands at some point in the course of his search in the place where Joseph Smith stood. He must turn to the Almighty and gain wisdom from God by revelation if he is to gain a place on that straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. We were just talking about this idea in my my Book of Mormon class that I teach down at the BYU Salt Lake Center. We were looking at Second Nephi chapter 25, where Nephi gives four keys for understanding Isaiah. And one of the keys that he gives, he says, if it's not plain, it's plain to those of us who have the spirit of prophecy, which sounds kind of like, well, maybe you have the spirit of prophecy, Nephi. But actually if you have a testimony of christ you have the spirit of prophecy that's what it says in the book of revelation the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy so all of us have that and all of us at one time stand in the place in our search where joseph smith stood and we lack wisdom i also like it doesn't say if any of you lack information a talk i gave for desert book years ago if you have the desert bookshelf app it's there It's called Ask of God when that was the the youth theme. And in that talk, I kind of, I tried to be clever and I said that there were gotcha questions, which were our questions that aren't really about learning truth. They're more about trying to trap somebody into saying something they don't want to say. So the scribes and Pharisees used gotcha questions on Jesus. King Noah and the wicked priests tried to get a with a gotcha and gotcha questions are used by lawyers and reporters. And then there's a, a better level, which is, I call it a Google question. Google questions are about information. You can ask Google or Siri or Alexa. My favorite Google question Where is the nearest five guys, burgers, and fries? That's a Google question. It's just information. But then there are golden questions. And golden questions are the biggies Where did I come from? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do in life? Is there a God? Those are, Google, those are golden questions. And thankfully, the Lord says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. So, if you lack information, you can ask of Google, sure. And the scary thing is, Google, Alexa, um, Siri, they'll all tell you something. There's a slim chance it might even be true. But if you want wisdom, that's an entirely different question you want wisdom, ask of God. But, verse 6, ask in faith, nothing wavering. I think when we look at the ending of the Book of Mormon, we have this Moroni's promise, we often call it, which says, if you ask with a sincere heart and with real intent. I think that means asking in faith, too. I really intend to do something about the answer. If God gives me an answer, I really intend to do something about it, which is uh, serious stuff to pray with real intent now in verse 17 james says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning that phrase father of lights kind of reminded me of there's a movie that b.o.u made years ago called about the constitutional convention called a more perfect union and they cite this little speech that Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, made at the Constitutional Convention as they struggle to hammer out Constitution. This is what he said. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future, our future national felicity. And we have now forgotten that, powerful friend? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? That's a great speech from Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) And we should be applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding. In other words, Benjamin Franklin was saying, we lack wisdom, and we should be asking God for wisdom. So many great one-liners continuing in the book of James. For example, James one twenty-two: Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Yeah, it's about doing, not just hearing. I'm reminded of that. What's the Home Depot theme? Less, less, no, something more doing, more something more doing. I have my own motto, less talking, more doing, but here I am talking. So, don't just talk about doing stuff, just do it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we know what to do, when we do what to, we know, we begin to become what we're supposed to become, I believe, and that's what, what, what it's all about. Verse 26 speaks of, If any man among you seemeth to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is in vain. There are other portions of James, especially in chapter 3, that speak about bridling your your tongue. Verse 5, The tongue is a little member, boasteth great things, but behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. Verse 10, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be swearing and cursing something that I feel like maybe we don't talk about as much as we used to. I don't want my children, my family, to become like the world in this way. There was a time when television shows would not allow curse words, and now their, their way of thinking is more, how much can we get on the screen? Many years ago, Sister Margaret Nadald gave a talk about women and two women. She was a young women's general president. She said, The world has enough women who are tough. We need women who are tender. There are enough women who are coarse. We need women who are kind. There are enough women who are rude. We need women who are refined. We have enough women of fame and fortune. We need more women of faith. We have enough greed. We need more goodness. We have enough vanity. We need more virtue. We have enough popularity, we need more purity. I think that she even got pushback from that, which is, what what is there to disagree with? We need people who are kind, not rude, refined, faithful, good, virtuous. Is that bad? <laughs> anyway, so Elder D. Todd Christofferson quoted Sister Nadald in October of 2013, And then he said this, In blurring feminine and masculine differences, we lose the distinct complementary gifts of women and men that together produce a greater whole. My plea to women and girls today, Elder Christofferson continued, is to protect and cultivate the moral force that is within you. Preserve that innate virtue and the unique gifts you bring with you into the world. Your intuition is to do good and to be good. And as you follow the Holy Spirit, your moral authority and influence will grow. To the young women I say, don't lose that moral force even before you have it in full measure. Take particular care that your language is clean, not coarse. That's the part I just wanted to emphasize right there. There was another talk Elder Larry R. Lawrence gave in October of 2015 called What Lack I Yet?, And he gave several examples of people asking that question and getting answers. He said, A humble man who couldn't seem to find the right young woman went to the Lord for help. What is keeping me from being the right man, he asked. The answer came into his mind and heart. Clean up your language. At that moment, he realized that several crude expressions had become part of his vocabulary. And he committed to change. Interesting, isn't it? And James speaks about the tongue. I feel like kind of if you can control your tongue, that is an indicator that you're gaining self-control in other ways as well. In chapter 1, verse 27, we have pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So, Sounds like loving your neighbor and loving God, those two great commandments are referenced there in James 1.27. In James chapter 2, in verses 1 through 8, we have speaking of respecting those who are maybe not where we are. Verse 8 If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. One of the strange phrases, I think, scripturally, is having respect to persons, when what it means is you are partial. We call it, I am no respecter of persons, and it doesn't sound right to me. I'm like, aren't we supposed to respect people? Well, in the scriptures, being a respecter of persons means you're partial to some people and not to others. I know that Elder Bednar has talked about meekness being somebody's ability to pay attention to those who are maybe less prominent or less wealthy or less intelligent, but giving them respect and to those who are poor, the right kind of respect. Chapter 3, I want to go back to because I love this this idea in verse 4. James 3, 4. Behold also the ships, which though they be great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. The idea of a rudder on a ship is that here's this huge ship, but the rudder, which determines a course and a direction and a purpose and a destination, that small part is so important. In fact, I remember that President Thomas S. Monson gave a talk about the Bismarck, the German battleship that was seemingly, you know, unsinkable, like the Titanic or something. This huge, powerful battleship. And he gave a talk about that. And he talked about how a torpedo scored a lucky hit on the rudder of the Bismarck. And all that the Bismarck could do was go in a circle. And because its path was predictable, the Allies pounded the Bismarck until it sunk and it was all because they disabled the rudder. I thought that was fascinating. Using that same idea of ships and the rudder, the helm, Joseph Smith closed out section 123 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is, in fact, those are all letters from Liberty Jail, we all remember. And I love the way he closed this out. This is Doctrine and Covenants section 123 verses 16 and 17. You know, brethren, that a very large ship is benefited very much by a very small helm in the time of a storm by being kept workways with the wind and the waves. Therefore, Therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. That's how that last letter from Liberty Jail closes. A very large ship benefited very much by a very small helm in the time of a storm. I mean, it's in any time you need a rudder. But in the time of a storm, it'll keep you workways with the wind and the waves. And boy, are we living in a time of wind and waves. And we need a rudder. To steer us, to give us a purpose and a destination. And so I love James's metaphor of ships and rudders right there. In James chapter 4, verse 8, we have drawn nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, those are actions, and purify your hearts, ye double minded, those are intents. So that's the clean hands, pure hearts type of a thing right there. But going back to draw nigh unto god and he will draw nigh unto you is the footnote there is to section 88 verse 63 of the doctrine and covenants and what i love about this one is when i teach this i always like to say listen to what is being counseled here and notice in every case who has to move first is it god or is it us so here's Section eighty-eight, verse sixty-three: Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and ye shall find me. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So, in every case, we have to move first. The other metaphor that's kind of similar is Jesus standing at the door knocking. It's it's like I'm willing to open the door, but you have to open it from the inside, or I'm willing to come into your life, but you have to open the door. James 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's an important verse to me because it speaks of accountability. You have to know what good is and then do it not in order to sin. Now, I'm sure that there is some of a conscience involved, too. All of us have the light of Christ. But I think that gives me hope, and it gives me hope for those that I know that are struggling with uh, activity in the church or whatever, that only a fullness of knowledge brings a fullness of accountability. And that gives me hope that if we, the more we know, the more we're accountable for. And some have, what's the old saying, It wasn't what I knew that hurt me. It's what I thought I knew that wasn't so. And there's a lot of falsehood about that or incomplete information about the church or church history that if people knew the full story, they might have a different reaction to it. Lastly, James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And then this great phrase, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or righteous woman availeth much. That's interesting to me. The book begins with, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. The book ends with the fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Well, those are some highlights for me of the book of James. I hope that's helpful to you in your continuing come follow me efforts, and we will talk to you next time.